Hello and welcome back to the First and Beard College Football Podcast. My name is Duncan Crowley. He's Anthony Azan. It is your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome if you're a returning listener. Well, thanks for coming back for another episode. Obviously, today's episode focusing on Monday night's national championship game in which the Alabama Crimson Tide completed their perfect season, going 13-0 with a 52-24 win over the Ohio State Buckeyes in Miami. For Nick Saban, it's national championship number seven in his career, number six at Alabama. Uh, a lot to talk about here, Anthony. Uh, the game, the consequences going forward from this game, Nick Saban's legacies, a bunch of things we could talk about. I, I say let's get right into this game. Yeah, I mean, it was it was quite the game to watch. Um, Alabama, uh, in my opinion, from about the second quarter on, completely took control of this game and was overall dominant, putting up 52 against a very talented Ohio State team. Um, the better team won. And um, we have we could answer a lot of questions or at least talk about a lot of different questions about the legacy of this Alabama team, the legacy of Nick Saban, and where both teams go from here. But, yeah, let's just start off with, with the game itself and kind of go through each individual player and how, how it all came to be. Sure. And, well, let's, let's start pregame. So pregame, uh, the big news, of course, was Jalen Waddell. He was suited up for this game. He did play. Uh, and we'll, we may talk about this a little bit more going forward. Uh, but I would say Waddle was used in this game pretty much for a decoy. I don't think he had many targets. He had, uh, I believe, uh, three receptions for 34 yards. He was on there. So Devontae Smith, John Mechie, uh Jaheel Billingsley and Slade Bolden could basically get open. And he allowed the middle of the field to get open because Ohio State, whenever he was on the field, had to cover him because even though if he wasn't 100%, he was still, you know, uh, he's going to be a top 10 draft pick. Yeah. Was that I your mean, thoughts coming on him for him? Yeah, first of all, I give Jalen Waddle all the credit in the world. Uh, the man was clearly not 100%. He probably wasn't even 50%. Uh, he was clearly limping out there. He was hobbling around, but he fought through the pain. He fought through whatever he was dealing with, and he wanted to be out there with his guys. And I think mm-hmm. Alabama, considering the circumstance with him, did a great job of, of utilizing him. And, you know, they used him as a decoy most of the time, but they threw the ball in his direction enough times that they Alabama still had to account for him, and they still had to you know, game plan to prevent him from potentially getting a couple more catches. So, yeah, I I give him a ton of credit. He scared me a lot out there. I kind of wish that he wouldn't have played because he he was almost risking his career if he got hit again and something bad happened. Maybe he re-injures himself, but, you know, it worked out, and um, I think he earned the respect of a lot of people. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with everything you said. And it, it really was admirable. In the era of players opting out, I'm not just talking about this season, but of bowl games. And I know this isn't a bowl game, this is a national championship, but uh, he had nothing to gain here in this game. His, his draft stock wasn't going to fall or go higher because of this game. So he had nothing to gain here. He went out there to help his team win. Uh, but let's get into the actual game. Um, so right away... In this game, we saw the one thing uh, 
was Alabama's offense was going to be very hard for uh, Ohio, Alabama, for Ohio State to stop is what I was trying to say. Uh, Ohio State got the ball first here, got three and out early. Uh, that, that would kind of be a sign of what was to come for this Ohio State offense. And they gave the ball to Alabama. That first Alabama drive was exactly what I expected. Alabama drove right down the field, 12 plays, 78 yards in about five minutes, and, and they just made it look so easy. And I thought right away that was a really bad omen uh, for Ohio State defensively. Yeah, I think if Ohio State was going to have any chance of winning this game, they were going to need to come out and punch Alabama in the mouth early and get an early lead. And obviously that didn't come to be, and obviously a big storyline of the game for Ohio State was Trey Sermon getting injured on that first drive. Um, You can almost argue that that was the beginning of the end for Ohio State's chances right then and there. But, and we could talk obviously about Trey Sermon and, and what kind of impact he would have had and how he might have changed this game. But for Alabama to come out on their first offensive drive and make it look so easy, uh, capping it off with a one yard touchdown run by Najee Harris, um, that, that, was, uh, that was a bad sign for Ohio State and showed just how dominant this Alabama offense was going to be going into the rest of the game. Yep, and, and to make matters worse for Ohio State during that Alabama drive, uh, we also saw at the time uh, Ohio State running back Trey Sermon go into the locker room with an, a shoulder injury. He'd later go to the hospital just for further evaluation. He's fine and uh, is heading back to Columbus with the team, but uh, I, I really felt like if Ohio State was going to win in this game, I felt like Trey Sermon was going to need to have a huge game for them. And once they lost Sermon, I mean, Master Teague and the the rest of their running backs did fine, but not not having Sermon, I think, changed that total offensive philosophy uh, for the uh, Buckeyes in this game. Uh, they they ran the ball a decent amount, but it never felt like they're truly trying to run the clock. Uh, their offense was so passive; it felt overall. Uh, that you you really question how much their offensive game plan hurt them in the long run of this game, if that makes sense. And I think that goes back to Sermon also getting hurt. Yeah, I think that when Sermon got hurt, they, they had to lean a lot more on Justin Fields than maybe they originally wanted to. I think back to when Ohio State beat Alabama the first time back in 2014 in the playoffs. They won that game because of Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, he opened up. Mm-hmm. He opened up the throwing lanes for um, was it for Cardell Jones at that point at quarterback, I believe. Um, yeah. He made that team go, and he was the reason that they won that game. And I think that Ohio State was gonna planning on using Trey Sermon in the same way that they used Ezekiel Elliott six years ago. And for him to get hurt on that first drive, I think that completely threw their game plan off and their offensive attack off. And I think that that had a huge impact on the rest of this game for Ohio State. I 100% agree. Now, let's give credit to Ohio State. After that Alabama first drive, I, I honestly thought it was going to be a route, and it definitely did end up in that route territory. But Ohio State responded off that first touchdown, drove down the field, eighth place, 75 yards, scored a touchdown. Justin Fields looked good, and it was capped off with a master Teague, uh 
running touchdown. Um, at that point, did you think this was going to be a game, or did you think that maybe uh, Ohio State was going to be able to go punch for punch maybe for a little bit, but ultimately wouldn't have the firepower? Yeah, that's what it ultimately ended up being. I mean, um, it was, what, 21-17 with five minutes left in the second half. I think Ohio State um, kicking that field goal probably ended up uh, costing them in the long run when you look back at it. But, yeah, they went blow for blow with Alabama in the first, um, almost first half of the game. Um, I give them a lot of credit for that. Uh, They gave Alabama's defense a tough outing in the beginning. But um, once the second half hit and even the end of the first half hit, you just saw the difference between the two teams. And I just think that um, Ohio State just didn't have enough, especially with Trey Sermon going down. I give all the credit to Master T. He scored two touchdowns in this game, and he was serviceable. But they just didn't have enough to, to hang with Alabama offensively. Yeah, I 100% agree. We really saw that, I think, in the second quarter. Uh, because, I mean, after one quarter of play, this was 7-7. Uh, much lower score, a lower score in first quarter than I think some expected. But in that second quarter, I think we saw that Alabama's offense was just way too much for Ohio State, especially that Ohio State secondary. They got beat time after time again. I mean, Mac Jones put up phenomenal numbers, uh, 36 for 45, 464 yards, and five touchdowns. That may be the best single-game championship performance we've seen in the playoff era. By Mac Jones out of quarterback. Yeah, no, it, it was spectacular. Mac Jones was incredible. But in my opinion, this game turned in the second quarter because of one man, and it became the Devonta Smith show very quickly. Uh, Devonta yeah. Smith, the Heisman winner. Um, we could argue about, we'll probably have this discussion later on, if he is, if this was the best single season ever by a wide receiver. But if you had any doubts about Devonta Smith and if he deserved to win the Heisman, those are probably squashed very quickly in this game. Um, 12 receptions, 215 yards, and three touchdowns, all in the first half, Dylan. He scored three touchdowns in the second quarter. He completely took over this game. He completely dumbfounded the Ohio State defense. They couldn't keep up with him. They couldn't cover him. It was just big play after big play. It, it, it was special to watch. You almost felt privileged to be able to watch it. He is some sort of player, and he, he's, he's, a, he's a game record. He's, he's a game plan record, just plain and simple. Yeah, I understand. I mean, you texted me during the game about a lot of lines like, is uh, Ohio State going to cover Devontae Smith? And, I mean, the entire Twitter sphere was saying the same thing because – I, I mean, Ohio State wasn't playing horrible coverage on Smith, but there is some there are some blown coverages that were absolutely horrible. But the one that really sticks out to me is it was down the sideline. I, I think – I'm not sure if it was the second or third quarter, but there was a play where Devontae Smith was running down the right sideline. Mac Jones throws, a, throws the pass to him. Smith stops on a dime, turns around, and catches it while falling back. Backwards, and it was it was just an outstanding uh, throw and catch. Um, but also to give credit 
where credit is due. I think the one reason uh, Devontae Smith and Mac Jones had huge nights was because of one uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, his offensive game plan, strategy, uh, play designs for this game was absolutely outstanding. The one play design he had on Devontae Smith, uh, I think it was maybe Smith's first touchdown, uh, was absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian deserves a ton of credit for his, his calling in this game. He was masterful. Um, he would call different types of motion plays. He utilized his, his game, his, his, he utilized his players to get certain guys open. Um, he utilized Najee Harris and Devonta Smith perfectly. Um, I think it was a master class of offensive coaching and he deserves a ton of credit for this victory. Uh, Texas, you should, you should, you should be excited uh, after watching that performance. Uh, we'll see what Absolutely. happens moving forward with him as a head coach, but Steve, it's, I think you can say at this point that Steve Sarkeesian is an elite offensive coordinator. Whether he's an elite head coach, we'll find out. But Texas fans, you have a lot of reasons to be excited about this moving forward. Absolutely. And now to that second quarter. Uh, like I said, Alabama dominated the second quarter. They outscored Ohio State 28-10. to 10. I don't know if I should say dominated because, I mean, there was at one point this game was 21-17. Give Ohio State credit. For the first 25 minutes or so, they were right there with Alabama offensively. Alabama could not stop that Ohio State defense. This was going to come down to which defense made the best adjustments and quicker, and that ultimately was Alabama. But um, what I think really hurt Ohio State in this one was when uh, Mac. Jones fumbled the ball in Ohio State territory. Ohio State recovers, and I believe they only got a. Did they get? No, they, no, they scored sorry, a touchdown. They scored a touchdown. Yeah, they scored a touchdown. Sorry, I'm. I. Then I don't know what I was. Oh well, who cares? Well, but I get what I thought, you're saying. I get. I get what yeah. you're saying that they didn't. Obviously, you misconstrued your plays here, but they didn't capitalize yeah. on every opportunity that they were given. Yeah, and if they were going to win this game, they because you knew Alabama was going to get theirs. Alabama yes, was exactly. Ohio State was going to have to go blow for blow with them, and Justin Fields just was not able to capture that magic again that he had against Clemson. Exactly, and, and that was the difference. Yeah, for me, it was if Ohio if Ohio State wanted to win and stay in this game. They legitimately had to go blow for blow. If they weren't scoring a touchdown, Alabama's touchdown, there was going to be a point where they fell behind into a hole that they couldn't climb out of. And that, I, I was thinking the, their field goal in the second half, first half came at right after the fumble. It did not. Um, but after Alabama takes a 21 14 lead, they only get a field goal out of its 21 17. And that's when it kind of started spinning a little bit of out of control for uh, State. Alabama comes back the next drive in and just in two minutes they score a touchdown. It's 28-17. Ohio State gets a three and out on offense and then 41 seconds later Alabama's up 35-17 and from there it really felt like Ohio State had no chance at staging any sort of comeback in this game. 
Yeah, and I, I just want to add with that uh, last score in the first half to make it thirty five seventeen. I think that 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 play where Devontae Smith get ends up being one on one with a linebacker that yeah. was Sarkeesian's play calling. That was the brilliance of Sarkeesian's play calling personified because using different types of motion and different types of play calling, he was able to manipulate the Ohio State defense to have that one on one matchup with Devontae Smith on a yeah. linebacker, a very talented linebacker, by the way. Yeah, but yeah, Duff's gonna run NFL. With, just not good enough to keep up with Devonta Smith, and that was a beautiful no. play call and a beautiful catch and throw, forty-two yard touchdown. And you could argue at that point that it was ball game because going into the second half, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Um, Bama kicked a field goal. Uh, Justin Fields threw a beautiful twenty-yard touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson, and that was the last time Ohio State would score the rest of the game. Bama scored two more touchdowns, and they ran out the clock, and that was all she wrote. Yeah, that, that was pretty much how, how it went down. Uh, in, and I, I think the story of the game, in the second half, was that Alabama defense was just smothering Justin Fields and uh, that Ohio State offense. They couldn't get anything going. Uh, Justin Fields, his deep balls. I think throughout the game looked pretty good, but in, in the short and intermediate routes, he he seemed to struggle, which was kind of surprising. But I mean, overall, Justin Fields isn't the reason Ohio State didn't win this game. Ohio State didn't win this game because, as good as they are, I, I honestly believe Ohio State's the second best team in the country this year. Alabama was just heads and shoulders better than everybody that they played this year. I know they barely beat Ole Miss, but outside of that game, and I guess outside of the SEC championship game, nothing really ever was close. Yeah, I think that one of the, the keys in this game that Alabama's defense from the very first play came out with so much energy and so much fire. I like I remember like the first drive, um, there was that batted Justin Fields' first throw was a batted pass by the D B in the backfield. Uh, Christian Barmore and that defensive line were consistently putting pressure on fields throughout the game, making him scramble out of the pocket. Um, we said last week on the podcast that if, if Alabama was going to win this game, they were going to have to consistently put Justin Fields under pressure and make him run around a bit because if he gets time to yep. set and throw, he's going to hurt you. And uh, they did a great job of keeping him constantly having happy feet and constantly under pressure. So I give them a ton of credit there. But they came out with a lot of energy and a lot of a lot of fire, and uh, I think that they kept that up throughout the entire game, and that was a huge key to them winning. That was a great defensive uh, defensive effort by the Crimson Tide. It really was. They only allowed 341 yards in this game. I mean, if you tell me Justin Fields was only going to throw for 194 yards in the national championship, averaged 5.9 yards per pass, I would have called you crazy. And the the other thing that Alabama really did, and we, we talked about this, was it was going to come down to whose secondary really was going to perform better and make more stops. And we really questioned if that Ohio State secondary could keep in check that Ohio State receiving core with Jalen Waddle or without Jalen Waddle because they had Devontae Smith. They have John Mechie. Najee Harris can catch balls out of the backfield. I mean, Smith, Mechie, and Harris combined had – 27 of Mac Jones's 36 completions uh, and Ohio State had no answer for it. No, they didn't. On, um, go ahead. No, I was just saying they, they, they didn't. I mean, Devontae Smith put up 
video game-like numbers in one half of football. And that really begs the question about Devonta Smith. Obviously, he won the Heisman. He's only the third wide receiver ever to do that. Is this the greatest single season ever from a wide receiver that we've ever seen in college football? When you look at everything that went into his season, I would, I, I think you have to say so. I mean, uh, the Heisman Trophy, the Blinnikoff, he's he won all three major uh, season awards. Uh, when you look at the Maxwell, the uh, Heisman, I'm I'm forgetting the third one, the Blinnikoff. Now there's another there's another like National Player of the Year trophy that I'm forgetting. It doesn't matter, uh, but he, he he won every award that he was basically eligible for, and yeah, I think it's without doubt the greatest single season we've seen in NCAA history. Yeah, I mean it has to be up there if it's not if it's not number one. I mean he was just dominant uh, in almost every single game he played. You look at his game by game numbers, and there's very few games where he has under a hundred yards receiving. I mean, yeah. and to, to cap it off with arguably his best game as a college athlete, um, and he did it in one half. I mean, imagine if he didn't get hurt, and I'm glad that he's all right and that he'll be fine moving yeah. forward, but imagine if he didn't get hurt and he played that full game. There's a chance that he has almost 20 catches, if not 20 catches on that game. Yeah, no, there was definitely a chance that he could have gone for 20 and 300 just unreal. So yeah, it had a chance to be the great single greatest championship performance we've ever seen out of any player. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 right there. It's it's, yeah. it's special. I'm gonna miss watching him. I I, yeah. I really have not gotten this invested in a player in college football in a long time. Maybe since I mean obviously there's Saquon Barkley because I'm a Penn State fan, but outside of like Penn State players. I have not gotten invested in a player like I did with Devonta Smith just because he's just been so special to watch. And I think college yes. football is going to miss him dearly next year. Yeah, 100%. Um, on the opposite side of the Ohio State secondary, Alabama secondary, I mean, he ended up with eight receptions for 69 yards, but it was a quiet night for Chris Olave for the most part. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to Bama's defensive game plan. Um, they clearly yep. schemed to take him out of the game. And like I said, like we said before, I think when Trey Sermon went down, I think that allowed them to key in on the receivers a lot more. Yep. Because, 100%. you know, Master Teague, as much as Master Teague's a good player, you know, he's not a game breaker like Trey Sermon's been over the last couple of weeks. He wasn't, gonna to, he wasn't going to go for 200 yards and three touchdowns like Trey Sermon had the potential to do. Mm-hmm. So I think when that happened, that allowed Bama to focus in a lot more on Chris Olave, on Garrett Wilson, on those spectacular freshmen that Ohio State have as well. So I think it made it a lot easier for Alabama at that point. I think that's a point that can't be overlooked. Yeah, uh, I understand. And I mean, you you talk about that uh, run game. They, they really did make Ohio State one-dimensional. Uh Justin Fields did have six carries for 67 yards. One of, one of those runs resulted in 33 yards, so already half of his yards came in one run. And then Master Teague, 15 for 65 with 29 
yards coming on one run. So, I mean, you look at, what, 33 and 29 is um, 64 yards? 62, 62. I'll Um, let you do the math. (laughs) Yeah, 62 yards right there. Um, And and that that means they picked up almost 50% of their total rushing yards in the game on two carries. And the remainder would have been Oh, let me do the math here real quick. 147 minus 62, that's 85 yards. So 27 carries for 85 yards outside two runs. I mean, yeah, you're, you, you're going to force any offense to throw the ball at that point. And, and when you are going to force an offense to throw the ball, you could just run dime cover, nickels and dime coverages all night long without any worry. Yeah, no, I mean, you explained it perfectly. They made Ohio State a one-dimensional offense, and I think that was that was the difference in this game. So I want to ask a question now, too. So sure. Sure. maybe this is a question for, like, the end of the podcast, but where do both of these teams go from here? So, like, obviously Alabama wins the national championship. It's their sixth in the last 11 years. Um, Ohio state gets really, really close, but falls short. Um, obviously these teams are going to be fine moving into the future. Uh, they have the number one and number two recruiting class respectively. Ohio state currently has the number one recruiting class in 2022, including a commitment from the number one player in the country, quarterback Quinn Ewers out of Texas. So Mm -hmm. where do these teams go from here? Sure. Um, Let's start with Alabama. I Alabama is going to be right back here in the playoffs next next season. I have no doubt about that. Yeah, they're losing a ton of talent, uh, no doubt. But uh, I mean, on paper, we uh, I the be- just with the benefit of the doubt that they're going to be back because uh, Nick Saban's always going to have his team ready to play. Uh, so yeah, I think. We'll be very well be talking about Alabama back-to-back national championships next year. Ohio State, now you could also say they, at this point, deserve the benefit of the doubt. That being said, I have a lot of questions about this Ohio State team entering next year. I mean, this defense got kind of lit up not only in this game but against Indiana. I mean, they didn't look all even that great against Penn State. That Penn State and that secondary – has just a lot of question marks, and it's not like this has been a one-time thing. Like this is kind of a issue that we've noticed over the last few years. And then, yeah, C.J. Stroud is going to be a really good quarterback. He's going to be a stud. Or Kyle McCord is going to be a stud. Who's their third quarterback they have there? Jack Miller. Yeah, Jack Miller. Also very good chance of being a stud. Any one of those guys could be a Heisman candidate, but none of them are Justin Fields. Like you can make an argument. Justin Fields is the most talented quarterback to ever play for a state in terms of true passing and uh, in terms of being a true quarterback. No quarterback in a state history has probably been able to throw the ball as well as he has. And they couldn't get it done with that with him. And that's nothing against him. 
they ran into a juggernaut in Alabama and stood no chance. But you look at the questions on defense, you look at the quarterback position, and then, I mean, the running back position. It, I, I don't think Trey Sermon's going to return for another season. Uh, after the last two games he's had, his stock's going to be really high. He's probably going to test well at a combine and go even higher than probably people think he's going to go. Uh, and I'm not sure Master Teague or Marcus Crowley is the answer there. They are bringing Travion Henderson, but there's just a lot of questions that I'm not comfortable with out knowing the answer for Ohio State, if that makes sense. Alabama, they've been doing this for 11 years now. Ohio State, yeah, they get to the playoffs pretty much every year, but they're also much more prone to slow starts. And I feel like if if there's going to be a season that they could slip up, it could be very well next year because there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of questions at a couple positions, especially in the secondary. So, I mean, both are probably going to be in the playoffs next year, but I'm much more confident in Alabama is than Ohio State. Yeah, I do agree with you with the point about Alabama. Um, they're going to be fine moving into next year. Uh, Mac Jones is going to go to the NFL. He'll be replaced by Bryce Young, who was the number one player in the country in the class of 2020. Um, I expect him. He's actually the guy that a lot of people thought would end up being the starter this year. Uh, I don't think anybody at the beginning of the year expected Mac Jones to be this good. So I'm excited to see for Alabama what Bryce Young can do as the starting quarterback of this team. I think he has the uh, chance to be a special, special player for them. Uh, Najee Harris, at running back, he's going to go to the NFL. Uh, he'll be replaced by Brian Robinson and probably a guy like Trey Sanders mixed in there as well, as well as some other guys, but mostly Brian Robinson. Uh, we saw him a little bit in this game. He's incredibly talented. Um, he's going to be the next the next great Alabama running back in that pipeline, in my opinion. Um, he was overshadowed by Najee Harris because Najee Harris is, is that good. And I don't think we've talked about Najee Harris enough because he was spectacular no. as well. But um, yeah, they're going to be fine at running back as well. And receiving, uh, you know, Smith and Harris, uh, not, not Harris, uh, Smith and Waddle go to the NFL. But uh, John Mechie will end up becoming the uh, leading receiver on this team. Uh, he'll be he'll be just fine. Jaleel Billings will be coming back next year. Uh, and they've got a bunch of talented young freshmen coming in as well. Guys like E.A. Hall, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, uh, Christian Leary, all guys that were high four-star or five-star receivers. Um, Bama is just a retool and reload type of team. It's the same situation on defense. They're going to be absolutely fine. Uh, but uh, you're right, Ohio 100%. State does have a lot more questions. Um, is C.J. Stroud going to be that guy? I think he has the potential to be incredibly talented. Um, I, I expect him to be the starter next year. Um, I think Jack Miller will have an opportunity to compete for it. Same with Kyle McCord, uh, the five-star uh, the five-star freshman coming in from Philadelphia yep. or New Jersey. He played in Philadelphia, but he's from Jersey. Um, yeah. I think they'll have a chance to compete for it, but I expect it to be CJ Stroud. Um, I think a lot of their success going into next year will hinge on how good he is. Um, and again, at running back and at receiver as well, it's going to be a lot of young guys for Ohio State. Um, yeah, running I, back, I think what real no, quick, I think with Ohio State, the best way to describe it, and and there's a lot of return talent there as well. But honestly, they've been recruiting at 
almost as high as level of anybody. But it feels like it's a lot of unproven commodities at this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's a bunch okay. of as you were saying, very, bunch of very very talented young players, but a bunch of guys that you don't know what you have yet. Um, yeah. At running back, they're going to have Master Teague still. They'll have Marcus Crowley, but after that, they're going to be leaning on Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor, who are two of the best um, young running backs in the country, probably. But again, you, you don't know what you have just yet. Same thing with the receivers. Um, you have Jackson Smith and Giba, who was incredibly impressive throughout the entire year. Um, I think Garrett Wilson comes back for another season. I'm not entirely sure on that, though. Yeah, he's a sophomore, so he can come back if he yeah. wants to. Um, you have Julian Fleming, who was the number three player in the country in, in the class of 2020. Um, they have... Oh, they have the number one receiver in the class of 2021 coming in next year as well. I forget his name right now, though, but he's out of Washington. He's incredibly talented. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Amika Egbuka. Yes, exactly. So they've, they've got plenty of young talent, but it's, I agree, it's a lot of unproven talent. And will they be fine? Absolutely. But yeah, until you exactly what you have, you, you, you don't know. I, I guess the other thing is, is, Alabama, under Saban, we now have, what, 11, 12 years of record of his ability to develop. At Ohio State, yeah, it's a lot of the same coaching staff that was under Urban Meyer. Uh, but also, starting with next season, it's really also going to be really the first year that we really start seeing a lot of the guys that Ryan Day recruited. A lot of this has still been Urban's guys. And their development at some positions has been – not exactly up to par is what you'd expect. That obviously one being the secondary, uh, but yeah, well, you you got to assume that they're going to be fine. I mean, Ohio State's going to be a top five team going to next year, as they should be. They're probably going to be the pick, my pick to win the Big Ten, as they probably should be, and they're probably be in the playoffs. I I have no doubt about that, and I I know. If there is an Ohio State fan listening to this, I know they may say, well, that we're crazy or something. Like, I'm not saying Ohio State's going to be bad or is going to fall off the face of the earth there. I'm just saying, could next year be that one year that they lose a stupid game? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I I completely agree. I mean, when you have a bunch of young guys uh, who don't have a ton of you know, in-game experience like they did this year, um, you always have the potential to to lose a game that you shouldn't. Uh, We've seen Ohio State do it in the past, um, losing to a team like Purdue or a team like Iowa in a game that they were clearly the more talented team. And, you know, we've seen it happen with Alabama, too. You know, they've lost to Ole Miss on on multiple occasions. I don't mean to just pick on Ohio State here, but, you know, it, it it, it does beg the question. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing to really look at is is how both these teams start next year. I mean, both are obviously going to be in the top pitcher, but Alabama starts the season off against Miami, which I don't think Miami stands a chance of beating Alabama. What is that, nine months from now almost? Nine months from now, but Ohio State, on the other hand, is going to have to be almost ready immediately because they started the season off against Minnesota, sure. But the next week, 
the Oregon Ducks are going to come to town. And that's that's a team that could beat Ohio State early in the season. Because when we've seen Ohio State struggle historically the last decade or so, it's been early in the season. Yeah. Not um, trying to them big West, big town West road trips in the middle of October at night. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are two interesting games, especially that Oregon, Ohio state game. Um, and it'll be interesting. Sure. What, it'll be interesting to see what version of Oregon we get next year, but that could be a yeah. really fun game and a very challenging game for Ohio state. Cause it, is it at Oregon or is it at Ohio state? It's at Ohio state. This year's game was supposed to be at Oregon. Ah, uh, Okay, I see. So yeah, that actually that benefits that benefits Ohio State then, and I expect them to to win that game. But it, yeah. it'll it'll that could still end up being a challenging game for Ohio State in in game two of their season. Yeah. So two because it probably did get confusing. So um, my my point of view, I believe Alabama next year is going to be once again a team we're going to see in the playoffs, the national championship. I'm giving them all the benefit of the doubt of replacing the ridiculous talent they have and are going to lose this offseason because of Nick Saban and his track record and everything. Ohio State, I think, is probably still going to be back in the playoffs. That being said, I am a little less confident in that possibility just because there is a little bit more of a drop-off in certain areas, in my opinion, than Alabama on paper. Yeah, I think that about sums it up pretty nicely. All right, well, then let's let's go back to Alabama and Nick Saban here. For Nick Saban, as I said at the top of the podcast, this is national championship number seven, number six at Alabama. He, he's, he has the most championships out of any coach in NCAA history. Uh after last night, does this officially cement? And I mean, I think it was official before this year, but does this officially cement Nick Saban as the greatest coach in college football history? I don't know how it doesn't. I mean, just just the level of, of dominance that he's had over the last, just the last, I guess, 11 years since he got to Bama, but it's strung back to when he won his first national championship at LSU. I mean, I, find me another coach that, that's been this great for this sustained amount of time. Um, I, yeah. saw, I saw a, um, a stat on Twitter, which I think just summed it up perfectly. Um, every recruit that Nick Saban has signed, now I'm, I'm sure that there has been at least one or two yeah, that transferred out before they did. Every yeah. recruit has won a national championship. That has at least yeah. stayed for one year. Yeah. Every recruiting class has got at least one national championship bringing out of it. Yeah, that's that's absolutely mind-blowing to think about. It if is. you sign I with mean, Alabama, if you sign on the dotted line with Alabama and stay at least two years, you will win a national championship. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the further, the most time that he's gone in between winning championships at Alabama's three seasons. 2012 I mean, and then 2015. But, I mean, now he's won 2015, 2017, 2020. And 
I, I think they're the favorites to win it next year again. Well, they are the favorites, but I, I, I fully expect them to again next year. Yeah, they'll be right and back in it. Because who they are, they're Alabama. I mean, it is sucky for the rest of the college football world, but they're, it's a credit to the culture, the program, and everything that Nick Saban has built around that program. Because especially kids growing up now, I mean, Nick Saban got at Alabama in 2007. So at the youngest, there are Alabama fans who are now 13 and have only known Alabama success. But, I mean, you could even say kids who were born in 2000 probably didn't really remember a ton of the first seven years of life around Alabama football. So, I mean, a whole generation of football fans have only known Alabama to dominate. But before Nick Saban got there, that program was basically Nebraska. As a game yeah, stand. Alabama went on some rough times in the early 2000s. I mean, they were not the team that everybody knows them as now. Nick Saban really yeah. turned that program around. And, and, I mean, listen, they'd had their periods with Bear Bryant where they were a juggernaut. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they've always been a top program. But Nick Saban yeah. made them a, a dynasty. Yeah, they, they had their down years in the... I guess it was late 90s to early to mid late 2000s at that point. Uh, and then just talking about revisionist history, I mean, what if Rich Rodriguez would have taken the Alabama job when it was originally offered to him? How different would the college football landscape be today? Well, Georgia probably has a national championship. That That's for one. Um, Clemson probably has an extra one. Um yeah, things are completely different. It's amazing how yeah. one decision changes everything. Yeah. It, it, Alabama fans obviously got to love it. Not nothing against Rich Rod. I mean, Rich Rod had his glory days as a head coach, and sure, he had his f- bad days at, like, Michigan and at the end at Arizona. But, I mean, that when you just think about how that – one decision by Rich Rodriguez completely changed the cultural landscape for really the next 30 years. Because I think, let's pose this question uh, as, as an extension of this. Uh, how much longer do you think Nick Saban coaches? He's going to turn 70 next season. Yeah. Um, that's, that's something I really was thinking about. Um, it kind of got me thinking because last night we saw him shed some tears when he, you know, yeah. when everything was said and done. And I don't, listen, I don't know Nick Saban's post-game celebration history after winning a national championship, but sure. it seems like the first time we've actually seen him cry after winning it. And it, it could be yeah. a lot of different factors. Um, you know, this was a crazy year all in all, but it makes me wonder if even Saban realizes that, you know, he's coming towards the end of his career. I'm not saying necessarily this year, because I, I don't think he's going to retire in, with, within the next two to three years, but you, you got to yeah. make, you didn't think maybe he's starting to think like, you know, this could be my last one or not even that, but like he, he realizes that within the next five years, he's probably going to have to retire. 
And then at that point, it'll be interesting to see where Alabama goes from there. Well, here's something I just looked up, and I don't know if it's still true, but... Okay, never mind. I found it. So Nick Sims' current contract runs until 2025. And I got to think that's probably... Yeah, I would say he probably has about five more years. But based off last night, yeah, I think that was the first... That's the only first time we've seen Saban show that much emotion. It's not like he was crying his eyes out, but he definitely was emotional. I think part of it was... He realizes, or he's allowing himself right now to realize what he's accomplished as a head coach. I mean, he's set the bar for the remainder of history of a college football coach. And I mean, he has seven national championships, six at Alabama. His legacy at this point is that he is the greatest football coach at all time and you can make an argument that he's one of the greatest sports coaches regardless of sport in the history of everything i mean sure there's john wooden but i feel like basketball at that point in college basketball was a totally different thing it was almost like i'm not trying to discredit it but in the era of what of where Nick Saban is doing this, I think makes it all the more incredible uh, because it's not an era where only one or two schools are getting all the top players. It's an era in which the talent to a point is spread around to about what, five to eight different schools. And yeah, he still masses the most talent, but He's he does it in such a dominating fashion. He is able to manage all these egos, and I'm not saying that there's a bunch of players with bad egos on on Alabama. I mean, Devontae Smith seems like a really nice dude. Mac Jones seems like a really nice dude. Najee Harris seems like a really nice dude. And he's down to earth and all that. But also, when you're that talented, there does come usually a little bit of an ego. But, I mean, and to be able to do it with replacing so many offensive, defensive coordinators and different parts of the coaching staff, I mean, it. the way he has set up the Alabama system is it's legitimately built like a manufacturing plant, a machine, a an assembly line. It's just plug in place and the end result is always the same oh yeah i i've admired alabama's approach for a long time um i think every team should have this kind of approach it's just business-like i mean it's almost like yeah they love the game and they it's fun for them but they come in they they score touchdowns they win games and they leave and that's their approach to every single game it's, it's like a business. It's like their job. And you have to respect it. You have to respect Nick Saban for enforcing that mindset on his players to be like, you know, this isn't a game. This is, this is your business. This is your job. Go out there and do your job and get it done. And, yeah, uh, I found a tweet. 
from uh, Mike Renner. He tweeted this last night. I think it's it's so perfect, and it's kind of funny, too. He says, Nick Saban has reached the stage in NCAA 14 Dynasty mode where you're so dominant that it's not fun anymore, so you start over with Wyoming. That's pretty much where Nick Saban's at right now, where it's just like yeah, he's done everything there is to do. The only thing that he hasn't done that he probably won't be able to is achieve the career, the all-time career wins record yeah. that Joe Paterno currently has at 409. He's not going to get that, yeah. but he's pretty much gotten everything else there is to get. And yeah, yeah he's to, to sum there's, the question up, he's the GOAT. There's nothing left to accomplish. I mean, yeah, the wins record, but to get there, he would have to coach another 10, basically six, sorry, 10 or 11 years and win 15 games every year. He would have to go perfect every season. Yeah, and, and that's the not going to happen. That are just, yeah, I mean, he's already 70. And, yeah, I mean, to a point, I, I don't think you er, – yeah, I mean, everybody loves the Joe Paternos – well, you know what I'm saying. Uh, loves the idea of being a Joe Paterno type coach where you're at a place for 40 years or uh, Bill Snyder where he was at Kansas State forever. Everybody loves the idea of being that, but at the same time – I, I don't think Saban wants to be coaching into his 80s. No, definitely not. I, 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 I mean, kind of vibe. if he retires by 75, he still has plenty of time to enjoy life, plenty of time to play all the golf in the world and all that. And I think I think ultimately in the next five years, we're going to see Nick Saban retire. Uh, his contract, like I said, is up in 2025. I did find a... Uh, on this newsday.com article, it says that he receives a $3.6 million retention bonus at the end of 2021. So what I'm going to say here is I could see maybe at the end of the 2022 season, him hanging up the cleats. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to keep in mind, and that's a de- we can talk about this on a different podcast. But that's a decision yeah. if he decides to re- eventually hang it up in the next three years or so. That would turn the whole coaching carousel upside down, like completely it alter would. the college football landscape. But I do. We are at fifty minutes right now. I, I want to ask one more question before we like Absolutely. wrap this all up. Um, this Alabama offense from top to bottom has probably been one of the best in college football history. Um, yep. Where do you think it ranks? You don't have to give me an exact spot, but among the greatest offenses ever, top to bottom, not just like star power in terms of like one player, but like all time, just top to bottom talent. Where does it rank amongst the best ever? I would, uh, man, I think it has to be top three, probably, of all time. I mean, you look at what their offense did just in awards. They won best, they won the top quarterback awards. They won won the top running back. Uh, uh, Obviously, I know all the award names, but just save time. Um, They won top receiver. They won top center, top interior offensive lineman, top offensive line in general. I mean, they won pretty much almost every single offensive award they could outside of 
the Mackey Award for the best tight end. And I mean, was that the only one on offense they didn't win? It might be, yeah. I mean, they won the Heisman. They won best quarterback. I think Najee Harris got best running back. Smith obviously got best receiver. They won best O-line. Yeah, tight end was the only one they didn't get. Yeah, I mean, so, like, obviously last year's Clemson team, you could say is probably – I still probably think number one because – You mean LSU? Probably just, yeah, sorry, LSU was probably just as talented as this Alabama offense. I mean – like let's look at it like this: uh, Joe Burrow, or Mac Jones. I'm taking Joe Burrow. Agreed. Uh, Clyde edwards hilaire or Najee Harris. I'll take Najee Harris in that one. Receiver is where it gets interesting, though. I think that's a push. It's so damn close. If you have to take one, I'll probably take Bama. But you're looking at. Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, a healthy Jalen Waddle, and John Mechie yep. versus Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, and Justin Jefferson. How the yep. hell do you differentiate between those two groups? That's impossible. And that's why I said push. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it to Bama by the slightest of margins just because they have the Heisman receiver on their team. But in terms of talent, you really can't differentiate between those two. That's that. Those are incredible wide receiver rooms. Yep. Uh, at, at tight end, I, I I would take LSU just because Wadja Hill Billingsley is a stud. He just, he wasn't that big of a piece of that offense just yet. I think next year he's going to be a much bigger uh, deal. I think in the Mac next year. I agree. I think he's he's a he, he was a kick returner for Alabama this year. He's the freaking tight yeah, end doing he's kick a tight end. Yeah, That's he's going to be special for them once he gets. To, it's going to be his turn next year. He's going to be a stud. Yeah, he. Yeah, I'm percent agree. Uh, offensive line, I'd give Alabama. Yeah, I think I think it's close because um, LSU's offensive line in 2019 won the Joe Moore Award, just like Bama's did in 2020. But I think Bama yeah. has more NFL caliber guys on that offensive line. Uh, Landon yeah. Dickerson is going to be a ten-year NFL player. Um, Evan Neal, I think, is going to be a future top-five pick. I think they just have more, more dudes that you're going to see at the next level on that line. So that's why I give them the edge. But again, I think it's close. Yeah, and then ultimately, I, I so yeah, so we basically have Alabama with two, LSU with two. And a push. And then it comes down to me is that I think you would have to go with the better quarterback, and that would be Joe Burrow. So, but, and I, I don't want this to turn into a, who is the better team, LSU 2019 or Bama 2020, because I think we're still too early coming off this national championship to make that decision. Cause we're, we're all, we're all going to be have recency bias, but. I mean, you look back at that LSU team from last year, and they legitimately dominated more than Bama has dominated this year. They beat, and and that's not against this LSU team. I'm just, I mean, this Bama team. I'm just saying in general because, like LSU last year, they beat four AP top four teams. Three of those came in the last three week in the last three games. They only trailed once. By double digits in the entire season, 
That was in the national championship game when they were down 17-7, but after that, they routed Clemson. Uh, but that being said, I think this Alabama team could very well be number two, and it's very close uh, offensively. Uh, to build off that question, is this Nick Saban's best team ever? I think in his – yeah, I, I think it's his best team ever. I think from top to bottom, uh, you just look at all the talent that they had. They had three of the top – five um, Heisman finalists. Yeah. Right? Yeah, three of the top five. Um, that That's unreal. Um, I had the I, nation's I, best quarterback, best running back, and best receiver, too. That's a rare sweep. Yeah, I think that, you know, Saban's had some incredibly talented teams, um, but I, I think that this is his overall best team ever. And I'm, there might be recency bias. I don't know. But... I'd struggle to find another team that was this deep. No, I 100% agree. And I think the other way, going back to the Nick Saban goat thing, the other thing that sticks out with Saban is early with Bama, he did it with defense. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks he's had, and, and this is something I actually been thinking about. If you think about it, Nick Saban, Mac Jones will probably go in the first round this year. But until the last two seasons, he never had a first-round quarterback. A, a top, he never had a quarterback who really did anything at the NFL level. And it's probably too late to give up on Tua, but it's not looking like Tua is going to be a stud either. But when you look at how he he's done it with very good college quarterbacks, but it's not like he's doing it with guys who are going on into the NFL and dominating, uh, which I think is impressive. Uh, for Saban, but as I was saying, early with Alabama, he did it by dominating defensively, and now over the last really five, six years, he's turned it and kind of swapped it and is now dominated offensively. Defense still very good, but the defense doesn't need to keep opponents at 13 points a game to win SEC and national championships. They just beat everybody by outscoring you and putting up 50, 60 points a game. Oh, yeah, I agree. Look at the quarterbacks that have won with Alabama. I mean, A.J. McCarron is one of the best game managers. I've uh, He's a he's an incredible game manager. Yeah. Greg McElroy, um, Jacob Coker. Uh, Bla- uh, did Blake Sims win one? I'm sure he came close if he didn't. I mean, look, look at the guys he had at quarterback. I mean yeah. – to think, of what is Jacob Coker and Blake Sims even doing these days? I mean, it's 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 insane to think that he's taken those guys who were serviceable, but not not, not, not really. They're not. Trevor they're not Long. studs. No, no, they're not. Not at all. And he took those teams and, and he won national championships. Could he take those guys today in this climate of college football and win a national championship? Maybe, maybe not. But. I mean, it's impressive to, to think that he won with those guys. Absolutely. And, I mean, the other thing you look at it is uh, he's really one of the few coaches in the last 20, and now, now we're talking about six national championships at this point, 70 can LSU. But every other time a school has won a national championship in the last 20 years, They've done it really behind a really good quarterback. I mean, LSU, Joe Burrow, uh, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, 
Florida State had Winston. Uh, Auburn had Cam Newton. Florida had Tebow. Uh, the, really, the last non-Alabama quarterback who wasn't like great in college to win a national championship would have been in 2003 at LSU. Um, I'm blanking on his name now. Was there a Matt Flynn? No, Matt Flynn did win in 2007, though. Matt Flynn was on the 2003 roster, too. Uh, I was thinking of Matt Mock. I've never even heard of him. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the year he won the national championship for LSU, he had had 28 touchdowns, which is nice, but he had 14 interceptions and threw for just 2,800 yards. Yeah. Not I mean, exactly a light up season. Yeah. I mean, the, the climate of college football has changed so much just in the last five years. And give saving credit for being able to adapt to it, even at such, you know, such an advanced age. You know, and he's, he, he's shown an uncanny ability to adapt with the times. Yep. I was angry. Um. And uh, do do you have any other thoughts? I guess on this national championship game, Alabama, Ohio State. No, I think that I think we've talked enough. It's over an hour at this point, but just to wrap ev- everything up here. Um, what a what a crazy season. Um, yeah. Personally, I'm glad it's over with. Now I'm excited to move forward into this year. Um, here's hoping that. The next time we see uh, these guys and these teams on a football field, uh, you could have fans in the stands, uh, you can tailgate, um, and we could just kind of get back to a feeling of, of normalcy in college football again. That's my hope. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I 100% agree. You summed it up greatly. I'm going to, however, demand one last thing out of you before we leave, and that is what is your way too damn early 2021 national championship game. I don't need a winner. If you want to give me a winner, go ahead. But who is going to be facing each other next year in the national championship? Hmm. Uh, it's a tough one. I, I was, it was while not. You, re- while you talk re- about it, I'll give mine. Alabama versus Georgia. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to say I'm going to say Alabama versus Clemson. I know that's a really right. cheap answer, but I I like DJ Uyangalele. I'm excited yep. to see his development and I think Clemson's going to be back in that game and maybe it's just a recency bias, but I think I want to see DJ versus Bryce, the two top players in the class of 2020 go at it in the national championship. That's very fair. I picked uh Georgia to get there because uh, they are returning to town, especially offensively. I think JT Daniels enters next season as one of the top quarterbacks in the country, like top three. Um, they do have to replace quite a bit in their secondary, but I mean, I feel like if Kirby Smart's going to win a national championship at Georgia, next year's probably his best chance. Yeah, I agree. Um, and you know, I, I may change this prediction within a week, but. As of right now, my gut is saying that. But uh, 
yeah, let's wrap up there. So thank you everybody for listening to the first and beer college football podcast. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at uh, college FB underscore three sixty five. You can follow me at Dylan CC Sports, and you can follow Anthony at Ant A sorry A underscore Hazan H A Z A N fifty one. Um, any last remarks? No, I think I said my piece. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. If you've made it this far. And, uh, yeah, have, have a good one. Take care.